Isaiah chapter 53, we're actually going to pick it up in verse 13 of 52. This is our, our last study in uh, this series we've done on the suffering servant. Follow along as I read beginning in verse 13, chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, and kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness when we see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he has put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Lord, we ask tonight as we look once more at This incredible passage of Scripture that depicts so clearly for us what Jesus did on our behalf as our substitute in going to the cross. Lord, we pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would stir our hearts tonight as we look at this passage, that we would come to just glean, Lord, this evening with great understanding what this means for us in this day, in this time. In Jesus' name. So we've come now to the last stanza in the message of God's suffering servant. 
As I've said in weeks past, that this has been called the Mount Everest of the Old Testament because it gives us incredible views of the Lord and, and what He did for us on Calvary. It's also been called the Symphony of the Saved. And tonight we come to the end of this amazing passage that depicts the great satisfaction on the part of God, the Father, over the suffering of His Son. And there's a, a sense of completion. There's a, a sense of, of uh, just vindication as we come to these final three verses on the part of God the Father. Verse 10 kind of brings us back full circle. Notice it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Here we've seen verse after verse after verse depicting the suffering of Jesus. The suffering that he would endure on the cross for sinners. And really, we're given one horrified blow after another, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of it, it's interrupted by this statement that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to crush his son. And we read that and we think, what? How can that be? What does that mean? What are you talking about? I mean, as a parent, God the Father loved His Son way more, way more than any of us have ever loved a child. And we read this, and we read of Him, you know, and what He went through, and, and the Father saying that it pleased Him to bruise, and we think, how can that be possible? God the Son, on the cross, the sin of the world flowing from all of the generations upon Him, and even from generations unborn upon Him, and Him bearing all the weight of that sin upon Him, and it pleased the Father to crush Him. It pleased the Father to bruise Him. It pleased the Father to pour out His wrath on His Son. You know, we've all heard the story of the drawbridge operator who take, took his son with him to work one day, his, his young son who was you know, four or five years old. And, and uh, the, the story goes that when he wasn't looking, the son wanders off and gets stuck in the gears there of the drawbridge. And the drawbridge operator, the father, he, he recognizes it and he's, he's about ready to go and, and untangle his son to you know, untangle his, his shirt that's caught and... And, and then he notices, he hears the sound of the, the train, the passenger train that's coming. And he realizes, if I, if I go and I untangle my son, I'm not going to get the drawbridge down in time, and that train's going to wreck. And so he has a dilemma, this father. He has a dilemma that he needs to lower the, broad, the drawbridge to save 300 vacationers on the train. If he doesn't, they're going to die. But if he lowers the drawbridge, he knows that the gears are going to crush his young son to death. And so to save the vacationers, he does the right thing and he sacrifices his son. And it's a good story. And as the 
passengers on the train go by. You know, they're oblivious to what has just gone on and they're waving at the drawbridge operator as the tears are streaming down his face. John Corson, he's changed the story a little bit and says it's a train full of not vacationers, but a train full of the worst convicts that the world could imagine heading to one of the worst prisons that the world could imagine to spend the rest of their, their lives. And he asked the question, would, would you save them? And the drawbridge operator does. And again, a touching illustration that depicts a father's willingness to sacrifice his son to save others. To even save those who didn't deserve to be saved. It's a touching story, but the story is not an accurate depiction of what really happened on Calvary at all. First of all, Jesus wasn't a trapped little boy who accidentally found himself in a life-threatening situation. And God the Father was not a reluctant father in sacrificing his son reluctantly sacrificing because deep down he had no other choice. No, that's not the picture. That's not what we're reading about here. That's not what is laid out before us in in Scripture at all. This was preordained. This was preordained plan between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It was the preordained plan of salvation. It was the preordained rescue mission of God that all three members of the triune Godhead were in agreement on from day one. That Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And it pleased the Father to bruise the Son because it was the culmination of that mission. The culmination of that mission to save man, to redeem the world, to restore order in the midst of chaos and to set in order the restoration plan of God, the plan of the ages, the plan for all generations. Jesus was crushed for our transgressions and the Father looked on in agreement and He was pleased with what was taking place. And he wasn't just looking on. He wasn't detached. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. That God the Father was an active participant in this plan of salvation. And the reason why God was pleased to crush or to bruise His Son is what it accomplished for us. And we talked about this on Good Friday. But the rest of this message really details this for us. As we continue in verse 10, he says, When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. That's telling us. His seed is telling us that there's going to be an offspring from this. From this death, there's going to be an offspring. That Jesus Christ would be the first fruits, we're told, of the resurrection. The first fruits of many who would come to resurrection life. That He was going to die on the cross for sin, but be raised again from the dead. And He would be the first fruits of those who would come to life. That He would have an offspring. That He would have seed. That's you and I. In fact, the promise that God made to Abraham... 
that from Abraham's seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed and that God would make of, of Abraham a great nation. That has application to the nation of Israel, yes, but it has an even greater application to the fact that Jesus Christ was of the seed of Abraham and the nations of the world have been blessed through his sacrifice. And we're a part of that. We are a part of his, his offspring. We are a part of his seed. And he says he shall prolong his days. He will live past the 33 and a half years of his earthly life. That he'll live on into eternity. That there's going to be a resurrection. That the crucifixion was not the end of the story. The crucifixion is not the end of a perfectly lived earthly life. No, it was the beginning of a perfect work that continues to this day of Jesus Christ working in hearts and saving the lost and working through lives. And God says, And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. In verse 11, He shall see the labor of His soul and be satisfied. Note that He shall be satisfied. He shall see the travail of his soul. As Christ is on the cross, he sees the travail, the labor of his soul as his heart is breaking. And it says the Father is satisfied. What an amazing word to be attached to all of this. He shall be satisfied. Now some have wondered, is the he in reference here to Jesus? Or is it in reference to God the Father? And you know what? Take your pick. Because you see, Jesus was satisfied on Calvary. He was satisfied that he finished the work. He was satisfied that he brought glory to the Father. He was satisfied that he finished the mission. And the Father was satisfied because the righteous requirement of the law was satisfied in the sacrifice of his son. It's what we call propitiation. Satisfied. Satisfaction. What satisfies God? Listen to this. What satisfies God? It's not your offerings. It's not your sacrifices. You know, we can can get into that mode where we start thinking, you know, that if I just do a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that, God's really going to be stoked with me. He's really going to be satisfied. It's not that. It's none of that. It's not your attempts at good works. It's not you trying to clean up your act. Listen, sin caused a debt that needed to be paid. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And the only thing that would satisfy that death was a sinless substitute, and that sinless substitute was Jesus. He satisfied the righteous requirement of a holy God. He did what you and I could not do. And nothing, I repeat, nothing that we can do can satisfy that debt. And most of us know that. But why is it? Why is it that we still continue to fall into that rut in our Christian lives where we start just focusing so much on our performance and we find ourselves like a little kid, you know, trying to impress his mom and dad saying, look, God, do you see what I'm doing? And friends, we've got to get off of that performance treadmill. My senior year of high school, I was a teacher's aide for a really cool 
teacher that actually ended up becoming a friend of our family and through that friendship she came to Christ and and uh, she was just a neat lady but during my senior year as I was aiding for her she would let me borrow her 1980 yellow Toyota Celica and I would borrow it to run errands or to go to lunch. And I remember vividly the first time that she asked me, the first time that she said, hey, you want to use my car? And she asked me if I knew how to drive a stick shift. And being a big, bad varsity baseball player, I said, sure. Never had done it before, but I thought, hey, it can't be that hard, can it? And so I took the car and headed off. To wherever I was going. And I, I remember, I'll never forget this. I stalled her car three times at the same light, at the same intersection, in one of the busiest intersections in Santa Ana. And the cars were honking at me, and they were, people were yelling at me, and I just I couldn't get the thing going. And I learned that day. That if I was going to enjoy driving that car and any other stick shift, I was going to have to learn to shift gears big time. Well, you know what? The same thing could be said about the Christian life. If we are going to experience all the blessings and all the power and all the resources that are available to us in Christ, we're going to need to learn to shift gears from performance to dependence or from our performance or dependence on our performance to a dependence on His performance. And this is something I really want you to grab a hold of tonight. And I think that there's some of you here tonight that, that this is you know, God's word to you because you've, you've fallen back into that rut and you're so focused you know, on your performance and what you're doing and what you're not doing and all of that. And God wants you to rest tonight and relax in this that God is satisfied by the performance of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's such a great thing, guys. He's satisfied by the performance of His Son. Notice that next phrase, or that phrase in verse 10, the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His hand. The pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His hand. What is the pleasure of the Lord? In Revelation chapter 4, we are told that you and I were created for His pleasure. That's why you were made. You and I were created for His pleasure. Newsflash, you do not exist for you. Newsflash there. So every day that you spend so much time and energy and effort, you know, trying to, to do things that are going to make you happy and thinking this is, gonna, this is it and this is why I exist, you're missing it big time. No, no, no. You exist You were created for God. You exist for God's pleasure. In Him, the Bible says, we live and move and have our being. Now, that that can sound a little bit demeaning. And some might say, does that make God an egomaniac? And the the answer is, is no. It's not that God is demanding worship, that He's some tyrant, you know, sits on on a throne saying, worship me or else. That's not the picture at all. The question really hangs on what is his pleasure. 
What is God's pleasure? Well, go back to creation. What blesses him? What blesses God? What is his greatest creation? What is his greatest joy? We read there in the book of Genesis that God spends, you know, the first five days making the world and and everything in it. The animals, the fish, the, the stars, the galaxies, the oceans, the rivers. He's speaking it all into existence. He's just saying, you know, let there be light and there's light and let there be oceans and there's, there's oceans and let there be surf and there's, there's surf and all the surfers are all excited about that. And he's just, you know, speaking. And think about this, guys. He made that knowing that you'd be out there on the waves and enjoying that. He did that for you. Such a great thing. In five days, he, he creates all of that. Everything is in place when he says now. Let us make man in our image. And he creates man. And man is different from the rest of his creation. He creates man with this capacity to love. He creates man with this capacity for relationship. He creates man making him unique from all the rest of his creation. And after he makes man, we're told that God rested on the seventh day. And he didn't rest because he was tired. You know, it wasn't like, man, I've been talking too much, you know, and creating. No, it wasn't that at all. It wasn't that he was was tired. It wasn't that he needed a break. It wasn't that God has a six-day work week. It wasn't that at all. No, he rested in his satisfaction of creation, and he rested in his fellowship with Adam. He rested in his fellowship with Adam, that the seventh day was the first full day of Adam's existence, and Adam and God are walking together in the coolness of the garden, and they're enjoying this fellowship with one another, and Adam was able to step into the presence of God, and God was satisfied by that. That was his pleasure. Adam and God walking in the garden in the coolness of the day, that brought pleasure to God. And you know what? That's what brings pleasure to God today. That's why it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Because you see, Because of what Jesus did on Calvary, listen, you and I can step into the presence of God today. We can step into his presence. We are welcome in his presence. We can come. We're encouraged. We're instructed to come boldly before his presence, before his throne, that the veil has been rent, that relationship is possible. And we come on the basis of what Jesus did. And that brings God pleasure. You catch that? We come on the basis of what Jesus did. And that brings God pleasure. God's blessed by that. He's looking at the work of his son and what it accomplished. And it just, it blesses, it pleases his heart. 
Seeing the redeemed resting in the work of His Son. You want to bring God pleasure tonight? Rest in the, in the work of His Son. Be encouraged tonight in the work of His Son. Find your confidence tonight in the work of His Son. And you see, what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient to to pay the price for our sins, but he continues to live, and he's sufficient. For whatever your need is in life today, Jesus, he's the answer. He's it. And God takes great pleasure when he sees his people resting and finding their confidence in, in the work of his son. He's stoked in that relationship. It's not that our lives glorify God, though they should. It's not that we serve God, though we should. No, he takes pleasure in in watching us just resting in, rejoicing in, having confidence in the work of his son. Think of it this way. I did not marry my wife, Denise, so she would serve me, though she should. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, I didn't marry her to complete me, though she does. I didn't marry her for her to assist me, although she does a great job at that. I married her for fellowship. I married her for intimacy. I married her because I fell in love with her and she became my best friend and I just loved being around her and, and, and that is what I rejoice in. All those other things are just icing on the cake. I just love her and her friendship and her fellowship. That's how God is with us. Or think of it in this way. As a parent, don't you love it when your kids are just resting in your love for them? When they just know it and they're just secure in it? They're not trying to impress you. They're they're not trying to overdo it. You know, they're not trying to do all these things that kind of get you to go, you know, applaud. And they're they're just they're they just really, really resting in the fact that they know, hey, my mom, my dad, they, they love me. They're not trying to perform for your acceptance. I mean, how weird would it be? I'm sitting on the couch watching the Lakers destroy Utah. And Aaron, my son, comes in. Oh, got the game on, Dad. Great. Hey, you want some chips? Sure, son. So he goes and gets some chips, and he puts them down. And he's like, hey, can I rub your shoulders for you? You know, you get a little stressed, starts to rub my shoulders. Want me to rub your feet for you? And, and you know, want me to go out and wash the car, you know? How weird would that be? It'd be weird because my son wouldn't do any of those things. But, but it would be weird just because it's like, like Aaron, chill. It'd be weird that my son would want to watch the basketball game because he's not in sports at all. My daughter Amy would probably want to do that. But, uh, but no, it would be weird. You know, he's trying so hard. You know, Dad, oh, can I do this? And what, you know what, I, what my response would be like, Aaron, just chill out. Come sit down and let's enjoy the game together. You know, a lot of us can be like Aaron. Or we can be like a kid like that, running around. Are you happy, God? God, did you see that, you know? See, all oh, I was worshiping you tonight. Oh, big time, God. Did you, were you watching? Were you doing that? Lord, I drove the speed limit all day long today, you know? 
didn't, didn't, you know, didn't go over it. God, I was nice to that rude person at the checkout stand today when I didn't want to be, but I was nice to him. And Lord, I gave that horrible waitress an extra $5 tip at the restaurant. Did you see that, God, you know? And a lot of times we have a tendency to, to do that. In fact, no joke. I have people that they'll tell me this all the time. I don't understand why these horrible things have been happening to me because this is what I've been doing. And they get a laundry list of all these good things that they're doing. And what they're basically saying is, look, I'm doing all these good things and so that should equal good things. And you know what God's saying? You know what? Quit trying to impress me. And I want you to rest. I'm satisfied, my son. I am satisfied, my daughter, in what Jesus did. And you're in him, and so I'm, I'm satisfied in you or with you, and I want you just to rest in that, to rejoice in that. I just want you to, to respond to that, that's what brings God pleasure. The cross opened the way for that relationship to be restored with God. And that is such an awesome thing. God was also pleased to bruise him because, look at uh, the second part of verse 11, because it says, By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He was satisfied because of what Jesus was going to do on the cross would open the door for many to be justified. The word justification, it means just as if you never sinned. Isn't that awesome? Sins forgiven, forgotten, put as far as the east is to the west. And God says, it's just as if you never sinned. You know, all my kids, when they were young, they used to love to play with calculators. And they'd punch all the numbers in, and then they'd hit clear, and they'd all go away. That's what happens. God looks at you, guilty as can be, and he says, I declare you justified. I declare you righteous. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ made that possible. For you and I to be justified by faith in a simple sacrifice. He continues in verse 12, therefore, because of all that, Because he's coming to the culmination. He's starting there. Behold, verse 13 of chapter 52. Behold my servant. Check him out. Look at him. Gaze upon him. And then he breaks down. He goes through one stanza after another. How he's going to suffer. How he's going to be despised and rejected. But it's going to be for us that he's going to endure all this and go through all of this. And at the final end, he says, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with strong the messiah's glorious work in other words is going to be rewarded the ultimate image that he's laying out here is the fact that messiah what took place at calvary was a victory paul described the ultimate triumph in philippians 2 10 and 11 when he said this that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is the lord to the glory of god the father that's a glorious reward Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of old, put it this way. In the end, 
The sufferings and humiliation of Jesus only bring him more glory and majesty. I do see that out of this dunghill of sin, Christ has brought this diamond of his glory by our salvation. If there had been no sinners, there could not have been a Savior. If no sin, no pouring out of the soul unto death. And if no pouring out of the soul unto death, no dividing a portion with the great. If there had been no guilt, there had been no act of expiation. In the wondrous act of expiation, or it's atoning, by our great substitute, the Godhead is is more gloriously revealed than in all the creation and providences of the divine power and wisdom. It's a powerful thing there. That His work on the cross magnified the glory of God. But notice this. He shall divide the spoil. Who does the Messiah divide the spoil with? It says with the strong. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about us. The strong. You're thinking, that's not me. I'm not the strong. You're right. In and of ourselves, we're not the strong. We're weak. But in Jesus, in Christ, we are strong. We share in the spoil. How do I know that? Romans 8, verse 17. Awesome verse. Paul's talking about how, how we've been brought in to be the children of God. And he says this, If children, then heirs. Heirs of God, and check this out, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Guys, that's amazing. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He's dividing His reward with you and I. Losers like us. Weaklings like us. Made strong in Jesus He shall be rewarded, verse 12, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus could never become a sinner. He could never become a transgressor himself. Yet willingly, lovingly, he was numbered with the transgressors. If there's a role taken for transgressors, Jesus comes along and says, put my name on that. Now, how weird would it be? How weird would this be? You have some, some, think of a godly sister, somebody in the fellowship that you just think is, is really a godly gal. She really you know, loves the Lord. She's a great lady. And they're taking a role. They're making a list of prostitutes. And they're writing their names down. Here's, here's the, the prostitutes. And she says, Put me on that list. You'd be like, oh. Or think about some godly guy in the fellowship. Some guy you just look up to, and they're, 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 drawing a, they're making a role of murderers. And he says, put me on the list. Put my name on that list. What Jesus did was to an even greater degree than that. He bore the sins of many, we're told. Over and over again in this song, in this message, the prophet has been emphasizing that point that the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, suffers on the behalf of and in the place of those who are guilty. 
Oh, it pleased the Lord to bruise him because of that. And he made intercessions for the transgressors. That started on the cross. Remember, Jesus hung there. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But that continues presently. As we're told in the book of Hebrews that our high priest, Jesus Christ, is the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. That he daily is is praying for you, interceding on your behalf and my behalf. And so as we close, can I encourage you to rejoice that we have a great high priest who has opened the door of fellowship for us, who has opened up the door for relationship with God for us, to rejoice in that, that He is interceding for you. Can I encourage you tonight, if you've put yourself back on the performance treadmill, to get off of it tonight. And rest this evening in the fact that God the Father looks at the performance of Jesus and says, I'm satisfied. And because you're in Christ, you win. I'm satisfied with you. My heart is for you and with you. Rejoice in that tonight that you are justified. Accepted in the beloved. Set free and made new. That God takes pleasure tonight. He is blessed when He sees you simply resting in Jesus. As you come to the table tonight, let that be a declaration. Lord, I'm a loser, but I'm resting in Jesus. Lord, I've sinned today and I've failed today, but I'm resting in Jesus. Lord, I fall short. Lord, I haven't been following the list. Lord, I didn't read my Bible today. I fell asleep when I was trying to pray. And I was driving. That made it worse. No, I'm just kidding. But But Lord, I'm resting tonight in Jesus. I'm resting tonight in the reality that you are satisfied with the work of your son. And I just want to respond to that. Lord, I want to find refuge in that tonight. Guys, that is it's such a great, liberating thing. Rejoice in the fact that Jesus won the battle and you and I get the spoil. Does that excite you? One person said amen. <laughs> Does that excite you? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, that we sit here tonight in Christ. We thank you tonight, God, that we can rest in the reality that you are satisfied in the work of your Son. Thank you, Lord. And so tonight, Father, we want to just end our time together End this time in the Word, in this passage, by just lifting up our hearts in, in declaring and that, Lord, we're going to rest in You. Lord, for those here tonight who have maybe been confident in their performance, Lord, I pray tonight that they would Just repent of that. 
that attitude of self-confidence and self-dependence. And Lord, that they would come to that place tonight of just saying, Lord, I I know it's all Jesus and it's not me. And Lord, for those who are here tonight who have just been under the weight of condemnation because they know that their performance hasn't measured up. Lord, I pray tonight that they would rejoice and that they would rest tonight in the fact that you look at them and you see them in, in your son and you're satisfied with what Jesus did. And that you find great pleasure tonight. And God, I pray that you would find great pleasure tonight in this place as we as a group of people bring our hearts before you and we are just resting and rejoicing in Jesus and what he did. And so, Lord, as we lift our hearts, as we lift our voices, be glorified. May this time just put a smile on your face that we got it resting confident in Jesus. Thank you, Lord.